0: Good morning. Thanks. Welcome back. Families, if you've been gone this summer a little bit, welcome back. College students, welcome back. We are glad you guys are here. Classes start tomorrow. Woohoo! no cheers on that one. Now we are glad you guys are with us uh, and glad you're back. We are so excited about uh, what God is putting together for our church this semester. Uh, what we think he has, he has led us to and what he wants to do uh, in the lives of, of of the people in our church and then also how he wants to use us for his purpose. And so we are glad that you're here to to join us here as we kind of kick off our semester and, and, and really uh, kind of take off running with things. And so, Thanks for for being here and for joining us. Uh, if you're new here or you're a freshman or you've never really been before, my name is Alan Beffert. Uh, I run the college ministry here and do the youth stuff and kind of whatever else I can get my hands on. And today I get to, to share with you um, here on Sunday morning. So uh, what, what we're going to do today is we're going to look in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, so if you want to start to flip that way, you can. Um, but if you're anything like my wife and I, then you uh, really got absorbed by the Olympics uh, a couple weeks ago, right? Like, you don't know why it mattered, but handball was the most important thing you had ever watched on TV, right? Like, you, you find yourself, like, so, like, deeply involved in the lives of these people who play handball or water polo or any of these other, like, obscure sports that that were on all the time, Right. And so we found ourselves like just watching, like every night it was like, well, we don't need to just sit in front of the TV. You know, and we just got sucked in watching every single sport, like the whole time. We just watched all of it. We'd catch up on DVR from what was on in the afternoon. Like we were absorbed into this Olympic uh, just kind of craziness, right? And um, what what, what I think is interesting is we really get, get pulled in by the stories of these people, it's the fact that regular people, everyday people, are doing amazing things. They're doing something greater, and we kind of get sucked into those stories. There's something inside us that loves that, and we, 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 we love to connect to that. And so you think about Gabby Douglas, right? The gymnast. Big grin, gold medal, and it was, you know, the fact that she, you know, her mom worked two jobs just to put her through the training she needed and to give her the opportunity to be on the Olympic stage and to win gold. We love that story. We love watching that. You think about Oscar Pistorius, right? The runner from South Africa, double amputee, Olympic runner. He ran in the 400, and I think he was also in the 4x400 relay. I mean, just amazing. And we love hearing that story and seeing what he's come from and what he's doing and his, the way he succeeds in, 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 in the Olympics and the way he does that. We get drawn into these stories, And you see that throughout our life. The media talks about it. You go to history, and history is full of stories of great men. Uh, An unassuming farm boy from Oklahoma that starts the world's largest retailer, Sam Walton. Think about Winston Churchill and his leadership during World War II for Britain. Think about church leaders like Martin Luther, who had the courage to stand up for the truth of Scripture. Or, you know, maybe the most preeminent man of historical greatness, William Wallace, right, fellas? Braveheart. Braveheart. Every man dies, but not every man truly lives, right? I mean, history, we love this idea of a normal guy or a normal girl that does something great and something amazing. Literature points this way. You think about Tolkien and Frodo, right? The little, I guess it wouldn't be a, a man doing great things. It would be a hobbit, but you know, you're with me. And then you've got uh, Michael Hosea in Francine River's book, Redeeming Love, or, or one of my personal favorites, Sidney Carton from A Tale of Two Cities, A man that has lived just a a reckless life who, at the very end of his life, sacrifices himself for someone else. And we love the way that makes us feel inside. We connect to these stories. You see it in movies like Shawshank Redemption, Apollo 13, and Dumb and Dumber. All right, I was just seeing if you're with me on that one. But there is something about this, right? About being a part of something greater. We love the stories like that, we love that idea why we cry during movies it's why we long for that in our own lives we connect to those stories it's not that we have to be famous or powerful but it's that there's purpose and there's something greater and see as we start a new semester or maybe it's a new year maybe it's just a new week for you we have a chance to do something greater to be something greater you, know, you could waste the next four or five years of your college life on Facebook or playing video games or whatever. You could uh, be frustrated by your circumstances, too busy at work or too busy running with kids all around town. We'll fall into the same routines, the same crowds, the same sin, the same insecurities, the same idols. And we look back a year from now, a semester from now, five years from now, and we wonder what have we done? Have we done anything that's worth anything? And that's really what Paul is getting at here. Because see, we're on the cusp of what could be. You're at the beginning of what could be. Starting today, you're at the beginning of what could be the next year. What could be the next month. What could be at the end of this semester. But how will you respond to that? What will you do? And so imagine this. Picture the one person that has had the greatest impact on your life. Can you see him? Was it a mentor? Was it a Bible study leader? Was it a coach, a teacher, a parent? Who was it? Can you picture them? Let's say they're at the end of their life. And they get to write a letter to you or they get to call you to their bedside, and they have a few final words. And this is where we pick up in 2 Timothy 4. Paul, sharing his final words, his final call, to timothy. Timothy's timothy been mentored and followed Paul. He was his, the one who brought him to Christ and showed him what it meant to have influence and impact. And now Paul has a few final words. He knows he's near the end of his life. He knows he doesn't have much longer. And he wants to share some final words to call him to something greater. So listen here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. That's some of Paul's final words to Timothy because I think they're for us as well. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who uh, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled Yes, the Bible says tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Verse five, but you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. See, the same call, the same challenge that Paul gives to Timothy, he gives to us today. To call us to something greater. To make our lives worth something and to do something more with our time here. And there are a handful of different things I want to look at in this passage. And the first one really is, um, he says, I solemnly charge you. And this isn't a basketball charge. You know, as good as I am at basketball, this isn't about basketball today. This isn't about... A legal uh, criminal charge. This isn't Paul charging Timothy with a crime. What he means by charge here is he's, he is pushing him towards a goal, a greater purpose. He's saying there is more to you than meets the eye, and I want to push you to that. I charge you. I encourage you. I'm saying do more. You can be that. You can be more. This is what he means by a solemn charge. This isn't just lightweight, kind of off the cuff, uh, uh, you know, whatever. I'm just going to toss this out there. I mean, I'm just saying if you want to do something, you can, but it's not a big deal. That's not what Paul is saying. He is making a solemn, serious charge. This is important. Listen to me. It is, it is serious because Christ the judge is coming back. Did you see that in verse 1? There's going to be a judge, And this is a serious charge that we have. To be something more, this huge idea, this bigger mission, to do something greater. He has called us to that. And so what does he say? The first one he says is preach the word. The first one that that Paul references in in, in verse 2, it says preach the word. That's the first, That's this big idea that he's calling him to. See, the torch has been passed to Timothy and now it has been passed to you and I. We are plan A. We live in a broken, fallen world with sinners that don't have hope except for Christ, and we are plan A to deliver that message to them. When it says preach the word, it does not mean you have to stand on a box and yell it out at the corner. What it means is that you share that and show that in every part of your life, because we are plan A. We are called to preach the word, to share the gospel, and to show the gospel. It means we live that out in our families and at work. It means we engage our neighbors and not just wave at them. It means we talk to the weirdos across the hall who play Minecraft all day. Okay. You know, when, when we see the world, that the world is dying, we realize this isn't a game. This isn't a joke for us. If you are a follower of Christ, you have been called to preach the word to the world. Through how you live, you share it and you show it. Both and, not one or the other. 1 Corinthians 5 says that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation because we've been reconciled. Because we've been saved. Because Alan was fallen and sinful with no hope and Christ saved me. Then I in turn take the same reconciliation I've experienced and I take that to the world. Our doors should be busting down because our church members and our regular attenders are living this out so much that people want to be a part of it, and you bring them along with you because our faith is being lived out. The second one he says, to do something great, to be something greater. He says, to be ready in season and out of season. This means that we don't take time off and we don't get to make excuses, but in all our ways, in every part of our life, we acknowledge Christ as Lord. He reigns over everything. No matter how tired you are from staying up all night for that test, no matter how crazy the kids are today, no matter if you were on vacation, your faith penetrates every area of your life, every moment. Think about it this way. The Razorback football team was only in season when the games started, right? If we showed up for our first game with no practice, with no training, with no spring ball, didn't eat right, didn't work out, didn't lift weights, how would we do You're like, well, we're playing Jackson State, so we still might be okay. But how about two weeks after that when we play Alabama? How would we stack up? To be ready in season and out of season. The Razorbacks are Razorback football players all year long, and they train for those games all year long. The way they eat, the way they work out, how they practice in the spring, it is all to prepare them for their games. They don't get to turn it on or turn it off. And see, our faith is the same thing he's saying to be ready in season and out of season means that we are ready all day, every day. But I think today, uh, in today's world, really Christians kind of pick and choose, don't we? Well, on Sundays, of course, I'm a believer. I'm in season when I'm at church because I got to like have my smile on. You know, and after Bible study, I'm, I'm in season after Bible study. But what about when you're at home by yourself? What about the way you treat people at work? See, we kind of pick and choose when we want our faith to, to come out. There's no off season here. You don't get to turn off your beliefs. He's called us to be something greater than that. Paul says we live this out all the time, every day. Next one. Something greater, verse two. It says, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. I think this has something important to say. Uh, and, and it's really talking to the church as a body, together, as a family. And what he means by the words reprove, rebuke, and exhort, he's really saying to challenge and encourage. With patience and instruction, we challenge and encourage each other. See, for some reason, we've decided that, that we kind of separate our faith and make it all very individual. We're kind of lone rangers, right? We do it on our own. And the way that scripture describes this and the way that this works is that we are supposed to challenge each other when it's time to. And we encourage each other in our ministry. We encourage each other in our faith in the things we do well. Paul is giving Timothy authority and confidence to challenge others in their weaknesses and sins and to encourage them in their strengths and ministry to be patient with each other, and to help each other along the way. See, we're in this together. We need each other. To be able to preach the word in our lives, to be able to be ready in season and out of season, I need you. And you need me. And we go about this together. And you challenge me on the things I need to be challenged on. And you encourage me in the things I need to be encouraged on. Because this is us together doing this together. Achieving something more together. As a church. I mean, heaven forbid we actually encourage our church family to grow in their faith, right? Because that might get weird, (laughs) and that might feel uncomfortable. If we really care about each other, if we really care about where we are with the Lord, if I look at you and go, I care deeply about your faith, then it's worth it for me to challenge you in that. It's worth it for me to encourage you in that. And to be patient with you as you work through it. Now, what he's done here in the first two verses is he's laid out this charge. He says, this is what it is. Do something greater. Preach the word in season and out of season. Share this and show this. Encourage each other. Challenge each other. Build each other up. And he goes on a little tangent here in verse three and four. And it's kind of explaining why we need to do that. And this little tangent is a little bit close to my heart, so I'm going to kind of talk about it for a second, and then I'll just step back. Um, But listen to what he says in three and four. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. See, I'm afraid this passage is speaking very clearly to us. That somehow in uh, American culture, uh, because we've kind of grown up in this consumer mindset, and what I mean by consumer mindset is that we just receive. We don't want to have to actively participate, and we don't want it to be too difficult. We want to like it. We want it to be entertaining, and we want to just sit and kind of consume. Just take it in. If we don't like it, we can leave. We can change the channel. We'll switch songs on our iPod. This is the mentality that we've kind of grown up with and that's kind of fallen into the church where we don't want to endure sound doctrine, right? Isn't that what that says? We don't want somebody to say something that might hurt or might sting or might challenge me or, 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 or convict me. We'd rather just have our ears tickled. I hope it's fun. I hope it's easy. I, doesn't, I hope he doesn't go too long so I can get out on time. We'd much rather just have our ears tickled and we have to kind of examine our own hearts on that. I could probably talk about that for an hour, but I won't. But I think that you need to look about that one personally. So let's keep going. Why we need to preach the word, why we need to be ready in season and out of season is because people will stray from sound doctrine. They will try to find something else that's easier. So we hold tight to the word. Now you may go, how do we do this? If we know what it, what it is to do something greater to be something greater, to make the most of our time and not waste our semester or our year? How do we do this? I think he gives us a little, bit of, a little bit of help in verse five. He says, but you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Here's the truth. If you don't want to waste your life, if you don't want to look back after four or five years of college or after 10 years of marriage or even after your first semester, then we have to be intentional in what we pursue. This won't, be a, this won't just happen. This isn't just a byproduct. You have to intentionally pursue the good things, the right things. It comes down to the priority uh, in your life, what takes precedent. And so the first one, he says, is to be sober in all things. And I don't think this is a grandiose statement on alcohol. I don't think he's trying to draw some line in the sand here. What I think he's trying to say in this moment so he's trying to ask if you are under control, if you are self-controlled. And the effect he's using, the, the analogy he's saying here is to be sober means you are under control. And so I think about what, he, what he's trying to imply here, and he's telling Timothy that, that, that to do something greater and be a part of something greater, you need to be self-controlled. You need to be led by the Holy Spirit. You look at Galatians 5, and it talks about Galatians 5 or 6. It talks about the fruits of the Spirit, right? Right? And one of them is self-control. Titus 1 uh, outlines the criteria for a godly leader. It talks about self-control. See, self-control is a huge part of this, that we are self-controlled and allow the Holy Spirit to lead us forward. Think about it this way. Uh, This is about the best uh, story I could come up with. So imagine here, we're going to go on a road trip together. We're jumping in the church bus and we're heading on a road trip, okay? And we're going to go to the metropolis of Cave City, Arkansas, right? Home of yellow watermelon. Is that correct? Go for us. That's right. Home of yellow watermelon. They've brought me back one. Unbelievable yellow watermelon in Cave City, Arkansas. Okay, fresh, juicy. I mean, that is the goal. I want some yellow watermelon. You guys are like mouthwatering just thinking about it, right? And that's this goal. This is this something greater we want to get to is this perfect yellow watermelon in Cave City, Arkansas, And so how's the best way for us to get there under control ten and two music Not too loud phone in a place that I can't reach it in text like we are focused alert We are driving forward under control because that is the most effective efficient best way for us to get to our goal Do You see what i'm saying? But now what if We're under control of something else So we drink a couple beers and we throw a couple more in the car with us. We're texting our friend to say, man, I can't believe I'm driving in a little tipsy. We crank up Call Me Baby because it's our favorite song. And we're just like driving, right? Like not the most effective, not the best way to get to where we're going. You're not fully under control. You're a little bit out of control, and it's not the best way to get there. So so the idea here when he says to be sober in all things, he means be under control and be led by the Holy Spirit. Don't allow other things to control you, your flesh, your selfishness, the desires you have. He says let the Holy Spirit lead you. Be sober and self-controlled so that you can achieve more, so that you can get to where you're going. Because I have something greater for you. I have a charge, a calling for you. The next one he says is to endure hardship. Let me just be uh, frank here. Life is not easy. Some of us know that. Some of us haven't experienced that yet. But life is not easy. And trust me, if you're not going through something hard now, you will soon enough. We will struggle. Things will be tough. Freshmen, your first semester could be the toughest four months of your life. It is hard. Meg and I were talking about it last night. It is scary and it is hard. Parents, your kids may get a little wild and that may be some of the hardest times for you, that you are scared for them. We may lose somebody too soon. See, the issue here is that sin has affected the entire world. When it entered in Genesis 3, it has messed up everything and it is hard. Life is tough. It just is. There are hard things we walk through. There's no way around it. And so what Paul reminds Timothy here and what he's telling to us is to endure. Hold tight. Persevere. For the glory of God, hold on. Because when the world sees you in the midst of all you go through, hold tight to Christ, then he gets glory for that. That when things are tough, you run to the cross and you fall down at Christ's feet and you say, help me, I hold tight to you. People see that and that is an example to this world. For his glory, for people to see him, we endure hardship. Then he says uh, next in verse five, do the work of an evangelist. And we've we've talked about this somewhat in this uh, first uh, preach the word section. But let me just remind you that he is not clarifying what uh, Timothy's job is. He's saying that no matter what you're doing, be an evangelist. Share and show Christ. This is not um, part-time. It doesn't have to be your job that you get paid to do. He's saying do the work of an evangelist. Whether you get paid for that or not, you are an evangelist for Christ. You get to share this and show this everywhere you go. And the last one. Paul charges Timothy to fulfill your ministry. Paul knows Timothy is meant for more. When he says fulfill your ministry, he says step into your calling, do something greater, not anyone else's, but yours. See, you have a God-given, God-directed purpose that is so much bigger than you can imagine. And the word tells you today to fulfill that. It's the same word meaning to bring full measure uh, or to abound and be mature. So we take the dreams and the goals and the vision that God has set in your heart and we pursue those and we fulfill those. We go after them with all we have because it's what he has set before us. It is something greater he has put inside us. But let's be honest for a second. Uh, There are a lot of things that keep us from doing this, that keep us from fulfilling our ministry. What is that for you? Sometimes it's that we really just don't want to. We'd rather fulfill our own desires or kind of do what we want. We allow everything else to slow us down or get in the way or stop what God has for us. Sometimes all we can see in ourselves is failure. We might be afraid or too busy or maybe even too lazy. Our life becomes about self-gratification. Maybe it's your own pride that holds you back or your insecurities of what someone else might think of you. It could be secret sin in your life that you refuse to acknowledge or deal with, idolatry, pornography, or even harboring bitterness and unforgiving spirit. It could be lies you tell yourself from your past, mistakes from years ago, memories that haunt your dreams. All these things stop us and can pull us back from pursuing and fulfilling what God has for you. And will we process those and deal with those or not? That will affect if you will... Continue in fulfilling, if you will actually fulfill your ministry. See, somewhere along the way we have disregarded the truth of what Christ accomplished on the cross. We've forgotten that part. The fact that he died for me, that he died for you, that he bought our lives, that he paid the debt we owe, that it's by his wounds that we're healed. See, when that gets lost, we've already made our choice. We've already made a decision to choose our ways. Listen to me, if we were overwhelmed by his grace... If we remembered what happened on the cross, that he took a fallen, broken, sinful Alan who had no hope and died on the cross for me, gave me a new life in him. If I could hold tight to that and remember that, then I would live my life fully for him. I would fulfill the ministry he has set before me. I would fulfill the dreams and the goals that he has for me. See, I'm talking to the college students in here. I'm talking to the parents that are in here. I'm talking to the singles that are in here, the moms, the dads, the husbands, the wives. In your family, with your friends, and the way you live your life, are you choosing to do something greater, to rise to the occasion, to step fully into the greatness that he has in store for you? To hold tight to the cross, to remember that that is the motivation for all of this, that because of what he has done, we give him all of ourselves. See, today, may, God may be speaking to you. He may be calling you to do something greater with your semester, or maybe even just this week. Something greater with your year, greater in your family, or greater with your job. He's leading you to do something. Not all of us are going to be written about in history books. Not all of us are going to have movies made about us. But I trust that if you and I pursue the Lord with all we have, He will use us perfectly in His perfect design for His perfect purpose. And He is telling you today fulfill your ministry, do it. Complete the goals and the vision that He has set before you. Because, see, now we have no excuse. He's called us to something greater. He has charged us with a high calling. Scripture outlined this greatest, greater purpose for us. How will you respond? Will you shrink back to your routine, the way you've always done college and the same friends you've always hung out with? Will you revert back to the same habits at work and with your family and in your marriage? Or will you step into something greater? Some of you need to spend time in prayer today to process this with the Lord, to confess things to him, to take things before him, to ask for his help. Some of us need to, uh, to, to seek forgiveness from him. Some of us need to seek forgiveness from someone else. Some of you may need to find someone to talk to. Some of you may need to make some major changes in your choices and the way you make decisions. And some of you may need to receive Christ and the grace that he offers for the first time today. But this is where we are, a chance today to set a vision for something greater. And I want you to know we're here to help. The church at Arkansas, the body of believers, the family of faith, we are here to encourage you and to challenge you to do something more, to be something greater. We seek to connect you to God and to others to help you grow in your faith, to serve within our church or in the community, and to multiply yourself and make disciples. You're going to hear those words over and over again, connect, grow, serve, multiply. We want to give you opportunities to worship. We have an overflow night once a month you can come be a part of. We've got small groups for all ages. We have a women's Bible study on Tuesdays. Tons of opportunities to serve in our college ministry, in our youth ministry, in our children's ministry mentoring to college students if you're looking for a mentor we have options for that adults if you're looking to mentor someone we have chances for that our church is built on the idea of serving supporting encouraging challenging each other helping us achieve something greater and specifically for the sake of college students and the u of a campus you are a vital piece to this church And we want you to be here. We want you to connect and find depth and growth and truth. And so I'll leave you with this this idea of stepping fully into something greater God has for you, different for each of us. That He's speaking and calling you to something today, charging you to preach the word, to be ready in season and out of season to challenge and encourage each other. However he's speaking to you today, listen to Paul's final words. And imagine you at the end of your time, on your last days, if you could say this. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word today for how it challenges us, how it speaks truth to us, how it gives us life. Lord, we are desperate for you and we need you. Lord, on our own, we cannot accomplish much, but with you, Lord, something greater. And we know you have charged us and called us to something more. Lord, challenge us and stir us towards that. May we not leave here the same. Lord, we fall flat on our face before the cross. Father, where you paid our debt, you forgave our sins, you gave us life, Father, and for that we give you all of ourselves. Lord, move in us. Your Son's name.